You are listening to the Central Church Podcast. To learn more about Central Church, including our gathering times, visit us online at centralsanford.net. Today's talk comes from Pastor Alan Brumbach. Well, God is so good, and I'm just so grateful, and I am so thankful to uh, just to be a part of this church. And uh, you guys are amazing people. At the end, uh, at the end, as we wrap up, I'm going to share with you some wonderful stories. In our next service, we're going to see somebody get baptized to, uh, through some ministries here at Central. We're, it's just amazing life transformation. So God is doing some great things. So let's praise him again before we start. Father, we love you. Thank you for what you're doing here at Central. God, we pray for those watching online that would love to be here in person, God. But we pray that you give them grace. Protect us all, Lord, from this virus. Lord, be with our nation in these these difficult days. But, Father, we want to pray for those standing on the front lines around the world sharing your gospel, those missionaries, Lord, that are serving in hard places, in unreached places. And, God, would you give them grace today. Lord, help us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 6 is where we are this morning. We're starting a new series called First. Let's stand as we read God's Word in Matthew 6, beginning in verse number 25. Matthew 6, verse 25. The Bible says, therefore, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Now, let's all say this, read this together. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You may be seated. How many of you like being first? You know, this is confession time. Um, The great theologian Ricky Bobby said that if you ain't first, you're last. Growing up, I've always liked to be first in things. I was a very weird kid in school, especially elementary school, uh, where I made it the mission of my day to finish whatever assignment the teacher gave us. It was to be, I was to be the first one to turn it in. It was just who I was. When the teacher asked a question, I'm the first one raising my hand. It was such a weird obsession that I also, in the cafeteria at lunch, wanted to be the first one to get my food and the first one to finish. Listen, I know I'm weird. I get that. But even to this day, I don't like being last in things. I don't like to wait in line. I don't like to drive on I-4 traffic, and neither do any of you probably. I like to get on things first. Uh, I like to go to Disney and be there first. I I like to get on the airport, on on the airplane first. I like to get on things first, and I like to leave things first. And and, and I know that as you're hearing all these things, you're thinking, wow, Pastor, listen, I have anxieties whenever I'm about to go on on an air flight uh, to to get to the airport. I don't want to be late. There's always just these weird things that I have. Now, listen, I have issues, but this is group therapy this morning, and that's okay. 
But listen, the whole idea, the whole concept of first is, can be defined this way. First can be defined as being before all others with respect to time, order, rank, and importance. As a Christian, I cannot be in the position of first, but I am called to put Jesus first. He must be before all things and all people in my life. He and his kingdom must be what I am seeking first. Now listen, you came this morning to the 930 service. You're watching at 930 this morning because you want more of God in your life. You want God. How many of you want God this morning? You can say amen. I want the Lord. Where is he found? He's found in the first place. He's not found in the second place. He's found in the first place. And so this morning, we are to seek him first. Now, Matthew chapter 6, we are in the very middle of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has been talking within this sermon on the issue of money and where our heart finds its treasure. Jesus, if you know much about his teaching and his didactic teaching, he talked more about money than he did heaven and hell combined. And the reason that Jesus spoke about money is because he knew that we had an attraction to money and he knew the bondage that we find ourselves in with money. And so within this sermon and within his preaching, he wants to set his people, his followers, free from the bondage of money. But even more than that, he wants to set us free from the very anxieties of life. So this morning, the message is this, and we're going to find this over these next three weeks is, is simply this phrase, we will only be free from the anxieties of this life when we seek first God's kingdom and righteousness. I want you to really put that down, write that down. I, I rarely tell you to write something down, but I want you to write that down. We will only be free from the anxieties of this life when we seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. So let's look here, three points real quickly. Number one, our pursuit. Number two, the priority. Number three, his promise. So let's look here at our pursuit. He says in verse number 33, which is what we're really going to be locked in on, he says, but, this word but is a conjunction. As, the, as that famous song goes, conjunction, junction, what's your function? Well, it is a transition. He says, instead of worrying, seek, but seek. The word here, seek, is to desire, to possess, to desire, to feel the lack of, to uh, to feel like you're in need of, and so this is in the present indicative active tense. Now, I know you Greek scholars there in the room, you know what that means, and basically what it means is it's a continual action. He says, but seek and keep seeking. Seek and keep seeking. It is an unceasing quest. Now, one of the things that we probably can understand by reading the context and just knowing life is that people are constantly seeking after something. We are in the pursuit of happiness. All people everywhere are seeking, desiring, wanting, longing, hoping, dreaming, and obsessed with something. We are natural-born seekers. And we're seeking something because we need something in our lives because there is something that we are missing. And so he says, but seek first. Not second, not third, but first. He says, this should be your first pursuit. The thing that gets you up in the morning, the thing that keeps you going in your day, the thing that you think about when you go to bed, it what drives you, what motivates you, and what encourages you. See, everyone is seeking something. The difference is, what are you seeking first? 
What is in the position of first in your life? What is in the position of first in your marriage? What is in the position of first in your career? What is in the position of first in your family? So Jesus within this verse is contrasting how unbelievers seek, what unbelievers seek, and how believers should seek. In the previous verse, verse 32, he says that the Gentiles seek after things. They seek after survival. They seek after success. Unbelievers, pagans, seek after what to eat and what to drink and what to wear. And, and they seek these things with this unceasing, uh, unconscionable uh, pursuit is because they don't know God as their father. Unbelievers seek these things, what you eat, what you drink, and what you wear are the things that we find that many of us are seeking because they don't necessarily know that they'll be provided for them. And they live in anxiety, they live in fear, they live in worry because they're not sure they're going to get them. I mean, think about even us as we call ourselves believers, but we're eating breakfast, and as soon as we get done eating breakfast, what do we think about? What am I going to have for lunch? And as soon as you get done eating lunch, what do you think about? What am I going to have for dinner? And after dinner, you're thinking, what kind of dessert am I going to have to, to cap the night off? Or maybe you go and, and you want to buy a piece of clothing and you go to the mall and you go, you know, for men, we go directly there and we directly leave. For others, it's kind of spaghetti. And, and yet, when we go there, we buy something, you find a shirt and, and, and you buy this shirt. And then the next thing you think is, well, I have to have something that goes with that shirt. I have to have some pair of, of, of pants or I have to have some shoes. I know many of you guys worry about these things when you go to the store. I shop at a very French store. I don't know if you know this. It's called Jesse Penet. And um, I've been shopping there for years. But anyway, um, but you go there and you buy these things and then you have to worry about the next thing you buy. And you constantly worry about these things. What do you eat? What do you drink? What do you wear? Because you're not sure you're actually going to get what you need. And so really the context of this where Jesus really focuses on this issue with money is he ties it with our issue of anxiety because of money or because of things. Six times in these verses, he used the word anxiety, worry. The word worry or anxiety can be uh, defined as a double mind, a distracted mind, divided loyalties. Uh, anxiety comes from a distracted and divided mind. It goes back and forth. It goes this way and that way. And the essence of worry is attempting to find hope, comfort, meaning in something that is temporary and fleeting. So you worry because you are finding your hope, your comfort, uh, your meaning in life in something that is temporary. And that's why you worry, because you're not sure. It's uncertain. Uh, Brad Hambrick, who is a, a, a counselor, uh, wrote this a few years ago. He says, most of us think uh, of anxiety as being an emotion that just naturally arises from the uncertainty of life. But Jesus says that it is intimately connected to our deepest desires. We worry most about what we are most devoted to, like our kids or our careers, which is why Jesus deals with anxiety by first challenging what we are most devoted to. So, worry is an opportunity. Worry is a pursuit. When you are worrying, you are pursuing something. So, when you worry, it's an opportunity to see what kind of things tend to get your attention. So while you're worrying, some of you maybe are worrying right now that I'm not going to be done in enough time for you to leave. Um, but when you worry, you, you, it shows you something. It reveals. It's the smoke that leads to the fire of the altar that is burning to the idol that you're sacrificing to. It is what should point you that what is getting your attention? What are you worrying about? And these over-concerns, these excessive concerns, are pointing you to your excessive loves. Uh, 
So the question is, what are you consumed with? What are you consumed by? What is really eating Gilbert Grape? Jesus here is telling us that he knows our hearts. God knows your heart way more than you know your heart. And we are all prone to be devoted to lesser things, and we're prone to be devoted to trivial pursuits. Now, it's confession time. I've already confessed my weirdness, and now I'm going to confess my sinfulness. Um, and, and you'll have the opportunity later if you'd like to do that as well. Um, over the past month, I want to just say pretty honestly, I have been mentally, emotionally, and spiritually distracted by the election. Anybody else? And I found myself in the past three or four weeks just not being me. Uh, I've been described, you know, somebody said, what is your character on Winnie the Pooh? Uh, my character is Tigger. The wonderful thing about Tiggers are Tiggers are wonderful things. But I found myself more like Eeyore. Uh, can some of you maybe understand that? And so I found myself consumed with worry, anxiety, and fear. I found myself constantly checking Twitter and social media and watching the news and talking to people all about the election, the election, the election. It became my pursuit. It became my obsession, and it became the source of my anxiety. Now, can anybody else relate to, to that issue? And, and it was through, honestly, this particular issue that God had to really smack me upside the face and say, you want to know why you're miserable? Because you are seeking the wrong thing. You are putting something in position of first that should probably be in position of last. So the question I want to ask you this morning is this. What is your first pursuit? Is it money? Is it career? Is it your family? Is it your kids? Is it your possessions? Is it your house? Is it your boat or your car? Is it your politics? Is it your political party or political ideologies or political personalities? Is it sex and lust? Is it greed? Is it pleasure? Is it your marriage? Here's what you have to understand. All of those things, all of them are not evil. Some of them are, but, but they're not necessarily evil. Money's not evil. Having a job's not evil. Your kids, well, they're evil, but not as evil as you would think. Um, politics is not evil. Sex is not evil. Pleasure. Marriage is not evil. Your possessions are not evil. But here's what you've got to understand. Here's another write-down word. All those things must be secondary or your relationship with them will be toxic to your soul. Those things are great. They're not bad. But if they become in the position of first in your life, they will be toxic to your soul. None of those things are ever going to be enough to satisfy your seeking and pursuing heart. None of them will free you from anxiety. Some people say, you know what, I'm, 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 I'm a person that I'm worried about being lonely. I'm worried about being alone, and so I'm going to fix it. I'm going to get married. Here's what marriage does. It doesn't fix problems. It reveals problems you already had. <laughs> Jesus here is telling us that we are anxiety-prone people. And therefore, as anxiety-prone people... We need to reorient our pursuits. We need to put first things first. And here's the deal. When you put first things first, you live with less anxiety. And essentially it's saying, take the energy spent worrying about secondary things and put that same energy pursuing primary first things and you'll see a difference. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He says, you can't get second things 
by putting them first. You get second things only by putting first things first. And here's what he says. He says, aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. So here is our pursuit. Now what are we to pursue? Now we get to the priority, the right priority. We are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now listen, Jesus is not asking us to do something unusual. He's not asking us to do anything different or strange. We're all natural born seekers. Now because we're sinners, we don't seek God, and so we have to be changed by God to actually seek God. But to do this, what he is saying is that we are to redirect our seeking Not to those secondary things, but to the primary things. To his kingdom and his righteousness. He's not commanding us um, to do something that we aren't naturally doing. He is commanding us to not worry about the things of this world, but to seek the things of God, to put God first. Heaven is our end and holiness is our way. So the question is, is that are you living your life right now as if this life is all there is? And so if so, retire early, buy a house on the beach, and collect seashells, as John Piper would say. Or do you live for the kingdom of God? And so here is what he is getting at. He's saying, seek first the kingdom of God. It should be the primary thing, the first thing. Now, here's the one problem that we have, is that we don't just seek those things to get what we really want. He says, seek first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added. And, and so, well, we want these things that are added, and so we'll just seek God so we can get what we really want. But no, he's saying, don't just seek God to get what you really want, which is all these things. He says, seek God to get God. Because here's what you have to understand. God is not a stepping stone, and he will not be used. And so don't just seek God so that you can get the good life. Here's what he's saying. The good life is walking with God and seeking his kingdom and his righteousness. That's what the good life is. Jesus says, make my, prior, make my kingdom, my agenda, my righteousness, the priority of your life above all things. And so the natural question is this, what does it mean to do that? What does it mean, Pastor? You speak so eloquently on these issues, but I don't understand how to practically do this. So I'm going to give you seven ways to practically seek God's kingdom and his righteousness first. Number one, to seek God's kingdom first and his righteousness is, number one, to surrender to King Jesus. Not hokey-pokey Christianity, one foot in, one foot out. Not an add-on Jesus, but a surrender to the king. Some people say, well, you can have Jesus as your savior, but he doesn't have to be your Lord. Well, here's the problem. If you don't recognize Jesus as Lord, I doubt he's your savior. Two, to pray your kingdom come. Not my kingdom come, but your kingdom come. Heard one little boy pray one time. He said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be my name. My kingdom come, my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. No, our prayer is your kingdom come and let it come deeper in me. Three, to bring others to the kingdom. That's what it means to seek first. It's to my life goal is to see others come to know Christ. Not how much money I can get in my bank account. Not not how high I can climb the career ladder. I want to see others come into the kingdom. Four, to obey the king's commands. To live a life of obedience. Five, to live for the kingdom of God and not the kingdom of self. Six, 
to sacrificially leverage my life and my wealth in service to the king. Don't just serve God with spare time and pocket change. Leverage your life and your wealth in service to the king. He's your king. Seven, to pursue personal holiness, righteousness, and justice. Seeking God's kingdom means I want to live differently. I want to look differently. I want to seek God's righteousness. And I want to seek, and part of that is seeking justice. So, you want to know what comes first in your life. What does come first in your life? You know, one of the ways that you can see what comes first in your life is this. Follow the money. Follow the money. I don't want you to forget that the overall context of Matthew 6.33 is Jesus talking about money. In verse 24, he says, listen, you cannot serve God and money. You can't just do both. You have to either serve God or you serve money, but you can't serve both. So your priorities, my priorities, are seen by what I do with my money and how I think about my money. You can see a person's heart by looking at their bank statement. Uh, Brad Hambrick uh, speaks on this. He says, Jesus knows that if you're devoted to money, then that's what you will worry about. If you think that money is the one indispensable ingredient to the good life, then you will worry about getting it, you'll worry about keeping it, and you'll worry about losing it or not. There are two types of people when it comes to money, typically. There are spenders and savers. We're going to have a a, a hand-raising moment right now. But you know who you are. Spenders are people who see money as the key to happiness. So they spend it to maximize enjoyment in the moment. Savers are people who see that money's greatest value is providing security for tomorrow. So they save as much as they can. And in God's good providence, he typically puts two different kinds of people in a marriage. So you have a spender and you have a saver. And both think the other one stinks with money. Okay? But God is not necessarily calling us to be spenders or savers, even though we have proclivities towards that. He is calling us to be stewards. Stewards understand that they are not owners. So I want you to think about this. All the money you have in your account is not yours. It's your wife's. (laughs) Just kidding. All the money that you have It's not yours. It belongs to God, right? Everything you own, the car you drive, the house you live in, all these things, they are not yours. They are loaned to you by God. You're not an owner. The problem is is that we think we're owners, and we're not owners. We are managers. This stuff is not ours. See, everything we have is God's. And so what stewards do is they look to God as the primary source of their happiness. They look to God as the source of fulfillment and security. Stewards hold to their money loosely because they don't see money as the source of their joy, happiness, and security. So here's what you got to understand within the overall context of seeking God's kingdom. The point is not that we shouldn't save for the future. That's not the point. The point is not that we should never buy nice things for ourselves. The point is is that our primary devotion and concern should be about pleasing God, obeying the king with our money, and not worrying about other things. See, when it comes to money, when it comes to parenting and education, career, or any other litany things of the things that we worry about, God is not telling us to sit back and do nothing. But he's saying that we need to do what we can in obedience to God to the best of our ability and trust God with the results. 
So the right priority is God's kingdom and how you can tell whether you're pursuing his kingdom or yours is follow the money. Martin Luther put it this way, and I really love this quote. He says, I have held many things in my hands and I've lost them all. But whatever I have placed in God's hands, that I still possess. Isn't that true? So now we get to his promise. We see our pursuit, and now we're looking at the priority. So we should pursue the right priority. And when we pursue the right priority, we can trust it because of his promise. Seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now again, the context is what are all these things? These are the things that the unbelievers seek. These are things that heathens seek, that the Gentiles seek. These are things that they worry about. What we're going to eat, what we're going to drink, what we're going to wear. So listen, parents, when your kids come to you and ask you, where are we going to eat? And what are we going to wear? And what are we going to drink? You look at them and you say, you are a pagan. (laughs) You are a heathen. All these things will be added to you. He says, do not be anxious about any of those things because you're going to have all those things that you need. And we fear, we worry whether or not what we're eating or what we're going to drink or what we're going to wear. You can just put in anything else you want plugged in there. And what the reason is is because anxiety thinks too little about God. Anxiety thinks too little about God. When you worry, you're dethroning God. As a matter of fact, when you worry, as Tim Keller says, you're saying, God, if I were God, things would be different. But you understand that God is both your king, to whom you hold complete allegiance to, but he's also your father. Remember what he says in verse 26. He says, if you want to know how good your father is, look at how he takes care of two things. He takes care of the birds, and he takes care of the flowers. He says, consider the birds. He says, look at the flowers. His argument is from the lesser to the greater. He says, if God cares for birds and buttercups, then surely he'll care for you. So if you're ever wondering, does God care for me? Look at the birds. Look at those little cranes as they walk across the road. God takes care of those idiots. (laughs) You think about that. I mean, they're walking in traffic. You don't see very many of them dead on the side of the road. The Heavenly Father takes care of those dum-dums. But is it obvious that from creation that we serve a good, good Father who loves to bless and prosper his people? Doug Hambrick, again, again, I owe a lot to him in this message. He says, anxiety says that God may be able to take you to heaven, but he can't handle you here on earth. It tells you that God is good for eternity, but insufficient for the present. Where he whispers that God delivered you from damnation, but will not work out the details of your life, anxiety scoffs at the promises of God. This is why Jesus says the Gentiles worry about these things. And listen, when we worry about secondary things and make them primary things, we're acting like an atheist. Who thinks that God is some ogre in the sky? Jesus says, listen, we have a heavenly father who loves us more than we love our children. Now, the cynic in the room will say, well, pastor, I've seen dead birds. 
Pastor, I've seen dead flowers. If I'm taken care of like that, dead bird, I'm kind of scared. Well, I think we misunderstand the promise. I want to really, I want to bring this down because there's a lot of preachers that just really just talk about this as just your life is going to be. If you follow Jesus and you seek his kingdom, you're never going to suffer. You're never going to have a problem. That's not in the Bible. Here's what he is not promising. All right. In this verse, he is not promising that Christians will never starve to death. He's never, he's not promising that we'll never die of thirst and that we'll never die of exposure. We know by Christian history and experience that Christians suffer or go hungry or die. So this promise does not mean we'll never go without. What is he promising? John Piper says this. He says, everything will be given to us that we need. So here's what he's promising. He's not promising you're never going to suffer, you're never going to die of starvation or thirst or exposure. Here's what he's saying. Everything will be given to us that we need in order to do God's will so that we glorify God most fully, even if it means our death. Jesus isn't promising all the food, all the clothing, all the housing, all the health care, all the protection that we need to be comfortable or even to stay alive. He is saying that we are going to even die in his service, but he is promising that we will have every single one of those things in exactly the right measure for doing his will and glorifying his name, even if it means perishing from exposure or starvation in the path of obedience. So here's what you got to understand. Some of you heard that and you said, that's the worst sermon I've heard all week. (laughs) Sounds horrible. You're saying that really God's only going to take care of me until I die. And it could be tomorrow. (laughs) This doesn't seem very comforting. I I want a God who will give me all that I need so that I'm happy as possible and I never suffer and have one problem in life. That's not Christianity. You know what that is? It's a Greek word, baloney. (laughs) That verse should still give us comfort. Here's how this verse gives us comfort. It gives us comfort because we know that God as our Father will take care of us as we seek first the kingdom of God. There's a saying that is, that is confusing to some, but I think it's helpful. You and I are immortal until God calls us home. What do I mean by that is, is what I mean. You, you're not going to die until God calls you home. You're immortal. You're not going to die one second sooner than what God's will is for your life. See, Hearing that I might suffer is only discomforting if I'm living only for this world. See, if I'm seeking first my kingdom, then knowing that I might suffer, that doesn't sound very good. Many of you may have heard the story, and you'll probably hear me tell it again, of William Borden. He was a young man who was the heir to the Borden Milk Company. So, you Borden Milk, have you ever heard of all the different dairy products? And the early... 20th century, he uh, was an heir to all of that. He was going to be a gajillionaire. And yet he walked away from all of it and surrendered to the call of God to be a missionary in Egypt. And he was only in, in Cairo for just three months until he contracted meningitis. And he died. Just a few hours before he died, someone came to William Borden and, and, and they saw this this whole situation that one of his friends came to, to just see what was going on. And, 
And they looked at him and they said, was this whole coming to Egypt a mistake? And William Borden's so weak, he could barely, he couldn't even talk. He just grabbed a piece of paper and here's what he wrote on that piece of paper. No regret. And even to this day, he is buried right outside of Cairo and there's a tombstone that just gives the very, gives his name, the short date of his life and death. And on that tombstone, it says, apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. Verse 34, we didn't read this a moment ago, but it's here. Notice what Jesus says. He says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. We say, why? He says, because tomorrow's got a lot of problems. We say, that's exactly why I'm worried about tomorrow. (laughs) Even though tomorrow has a lot of problems, tomorrow also has a lot of promises. Both God's presence and his grace. Listen, tomorrow there's going to be a lot of trouble. But there's also going to be a lot of grace. Limitations 3.22 says that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We will only be free from the anxieties of this life when we seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. Only Jesus can free you from these anxieties. And the only way he can do that is because he has won our freedom at the cross. See, only Jesus can say all these things will be thrown in because he died to make all those things possible. So the question is, do you believe the gospel? The gospel says this in Romans 8.32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Do you understand that Jesus came seeking you first? Ahead of himself? so that he could give us all things? Jesus lost it all on the cross so that he could give us all things that we need in life. And so we can follow him and we can pursue his kingdom and his righteousness because in that we find joy and peace and hope. Listen, this is, I want you to leave here with this. We flourish in life when we come second and Jesus comes first. That's how we flourish. I'm going to tell you one more story about a guy named C.T. Studd. You've probably heard me talk about this guy before. He was a star cricket player in England in the 19th century. He was the LeBron James of cricket. At the time of the 19th century, cricket was the, most, the world's most popular sport. Just the other day, I was driving in Sanford, and it was, I think it was Friday or Saturday night. I saw these guys over there in a the park playing cricket. The very height of his career, C.T. Studd, who was the star player on the national team, and with a name like Studd, he's got to be good. He was at the very height of his career, and he just had this burden that his whole life was just basically yielding no eternal value. I mean, what does it profit a man to be the best cricket player and people go to hell? It's the very height. He, He resigned from the team, and he left to spread the gospel, and he went to China, Then he went to India and eventually to the Belgian Congo where he died there. I mean, you think about this. It would be like LeBron James having a press conference saying that he is taking his talents to Mongolia to share Jesus with people. Unheard of. 
So people came to C.T. Studd and they asked him, why would you do this? Why would you give up all of this? And here's what he says. He said, if Jesus Christ be God and die for me, then there is no sacrifice too great for me to make for him. And later on, he wrote this poem that says this, only one life will soon be passed and only what's done for Christ will last. You want to be free from your anxieties? Seek first the kingdom of God. You want to be free from what's going on in the world of politics? Seek first the kingdom of God. You want to be free from the control that money has on your heart? Seek first the kingdom of God. You want to be free from the anxieties and burdens that you have even in your own marriage or with your kids? Seek first the kingdom of God. I'm not telling you to be passive bystanders, but I'm telling you to put it in the place it needs to be. You seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he says, all these things will be added to you. Some of you this morning, you need to surrender your life to the king. You'll never seek first the kingdom of God until you surrender yourself to the king. And so I want to give you that moment to do that this morning. Whether you're watching online or whether you're in the room, I just want to give you just a moment. So just everyone bow your heads, close your eyes. And I want you to talk to the Lord. The Lord, the Holy Spirit is doing surgery this morning in this room because I know it's painful. I know it's painful because you guys are quiet. See, right there where you are, I'm going to just hush for a couple seconds. And then I'm going to pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for how awesome you are. I thank you for the cross and the empty tomb. You, you sought us first. The Bible says you came to seek and to save the lost. You, you sought us, God, and you continue to seek us. And God, I know there's people either watching online or in this room or later going to listen on the radio, God, that you're seeking them. God, would they right now surrender? Would they just stop? Would they throw up their hands and say, God, I surrender? Maybe they're in this room, Lord. I pray right now that if they are, that today they would maybe pray a prayer like this. Lord Jesus, I know that you are the king. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose from the dead. And God, I ask that you forgive me of my sins. And I ask that you save me. I surrender my life to you, God. I don't understand it all, but I surrender all that I know of myself to all that I know of you. Take my life in Jesus' name. And Father, I pray for anyone else in this room that they're allowing the things, these secondary things and trivial pursuits to take hold of their hearts. God, would they this morning say, I'm going to seek first your kingdom. Lord, help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to the Central Church Podcast. For more information on how to take your next step, visit us online at centralsanford.net.